0: All right, we're here. Dr. Jun Chun. Yes, psychiatry resident. I said it right. Only 23 episodes it took me to figure out how to say your name, and we've been friends, what, now for like 20-something months? Maybe longer than that. Uh, 21? Yeah, about 21.
1: We're about close to two years Through residency, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: reminder to all the listeners, we're uh, psychiatry residents. We're in our second year. Um, We have to complete four years of psychiatry residency before we're actually psychiatrists. We're on our way. Um, So, we are doctors of medicine. I think that's important to point out. We did both go to medical school, but still... um, not making that big, crazy money as normal attending doctors would. We're poor. We're resident physicians. If you've ever seen the episode, like Scrubs, that TV show, we're living that life in the psychiatry realm. Maybe we should make a psychiatric Scrubs edition. I don't
1: know. You're going to be a movie star, Logan.
0: I hope not. For now, I just want to focus on a podcast. So that I enjoy this way more.
1: Just a podcaster and a doctor for now, huh?
0: And Well, I guess YouTuber. We're filming as well. We're, we're kind of a big deal. That's right. All right. Let's get into it, bro. So this episode is talking about the importance of exercise, okay? And, and I just want to kind of have a nice conversation, um, anecdotal, and also so a little bit of science. This is really, really personal to me. So, you know, I've shared with you that I had a manic episode that's my first engagement with the mental health system. Um, I was in Torrington, Connecticut, Charlotte Hungerford Hospital, Um, maybe 10 minutes from where I grew up is where I had an inpatient psychiatric stay for about five days. Now, uh, if you've never been to Northwestern Connecticut, um, it's a rural area where I grew up, uh, rolling hills, very scenic, it was a great place to grow up. Um... And one of the biggest complaints I had of that experience in the inpatient ward is I knew one thing that my body personally needed and could benefit from when I was going through that manic episode, that shame and embarrassment that I had to deal with because I did a lot of dumb things when I was manic, the, the elements of depression, the racing thoughts. I was willing to take medicine, but I also knew that simply going outside on a walk and exercising Would have been one of the most beneficial things I could do for that experience, in that experience. You You think at an inpatient setting,
1: there would be opportunities for exercise. Was it not like that?
0: No, I have no exercise. Interesting. no no in my opinion meaningful exercise you know i remember actually in that mental health hospital stay um the first time i ever did yoga in my life was at that mental health inpatient stay which was kind of cool
1: and you still do it to this day right i, I know still that's a do big part it to of this your life day.
0: yeah um so that was cool i remember they also did some movement um classes when i was there you know remember i was a 22 year old man at that point a <laughs> little uh little lighter than I am now, Mr. June, I must say. I'm about 230 now. I was probably about 200 pounds at that time.
1: I don't know. Pure muscle, right? Brett? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's it's tough, you know, when you're in an inpatient state, because I had fellow patients on that unit that were, you know, triple my age at that point. I was 21 years old, you know. So, so doing, like, an exercise class amongst that wide age range, I get is really hard, because we got involved in, like, I remember doing a Zumba class there. But I was manic, you remember? Like I had a manic episode. And when you're manic, you deal with such an excess feeling of energy. That's how I describe it. Like, and sometimes that energy can go to creative things, or where I, in a sense, am like grandiose, maybe egotistical, <laughs> but also sometimes irritable, sometimes also highly anxious, ruminating, sometimes it leads to insomnia. And exercise has always been a really good tool for me. And I remember on that inpatient ward, there was no treadmill there was no stationary bike there was no opportunity to go outside because oh sir you might run away it's like i remember like arguing with one of the nurses like yo i will not run away i will come back i promise just let me just go on a walk like please like they of course wouldn't let me
1: okay let me let me ask you a question if a patient told you that and you're the attending at the inpatient unit would you believe that patient and would you let them out
0: yeah you would we talked last episode, too, and if you didn't listen to that episode on opioid part, disorder part two, but we got into a great philosophical discussion, how we were talking about patient autonomy. And I think one of the best ways to assist in mental health care is if the patient is willing to play ball, if the patient is willing to buy what you're selling as a practitioner versus me forcing you. Now I get, and I've done it even, there's certain situations where we do have to force care. I've had to force medicine before and I don't like it.
1: Yeah. I've done it. Unpleasant feeling.
0: But I don't like it. And what I mean by that, if you don't even understand what I'm talking about, is, you know, I, as a physician, don't physically do it, but I do put the orders in that, yeah, we got to give that patient over there medicine by needle. And I do this because I'm very concerned with both patient and staff safety in the events of these crisis, but still not a good sensation. But that being said, you know, I would, you know, I, 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 The one thing I would love to do, honestly, as a physician when I'm one day is roll the dice and be like, you know what? Me and you, patient, for the next 20 minutes when we have this patient encounter on the inpatient unit, we're going on a walk outside. And there will be some patients that probably run away, but there'll probably be some patients that won't either. And that I think would value that experience of walking around outside, enjoying the sun, getting exercise, and having a high quality conversation with their physician.
1: So I don't disagree that for patients that are, you know, behaving appropriately, in essence, um, that getting out, maybe even going for a walk with you, um, it will be extremely beneficial for them. But at the same time, if you have even a single patient where there's an issue, that's a lot of liability. And I think, yeah. you know, many people don't realize this. And I, I certainly didn't before I started residency. There is a clinical practice of medicine there's the ethical practice of medicine, but there's also practicing from the lens of liability. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, to the detriment of the patient, unfortunately, that is the, the choice that a lot of physicians do end up making because it is a fact that we live in a very litigious society and you hear about lawsuits against doctors all the time. Um, and in a psychiatric setting, that is, I don't know, I will feel a little bit hesitant about, about letting patients just leave and walk outside, even though, you know, I I agree, it would probably be beneficial for a lot of people, but just because of how dangerous it may be, if, if I can use that word.
0: I mean, I look, I think that's fair, but I also think that uh, lawyers are part of the reason why our mental health or healthcare system period is broken. Healthcare system comma is broken. I don't know. I didn't get into medical school for my punctuation skill set here, but either way, you know, I just, I think that's so improper and I get there's risks and I, and I get that there's a potential for liability, but I really think that that's unfair that that should impact how I want to treat that patient. And because I just so strongly believe like me and you both graduated from osteopathic medical school, we can talk about pills all day until we're blue in the face, but there is nothing in this world that calms me the same way as when I'm on my surfboard out in the water. Nothing that even touches that. Nothing when I'm on the top of the mountain, you know, skiing or something like that. Like There are experiences with your body being outdoors that pharmacology can't touch. You know, even in the world of like psychedelics and all these things, like these are real experience that I do think have medicinal value. And I don't think we lean on them enough. We get so lost in the weeds. And I think a lot of it in a sense is monetarily because if we're not prescribing medicine, the insurance company doesn't necessarily get paid the same way. And we don't. Why? Well, why did he need to see a medical doctor is all you prescribed him was exercise, blah. blah, blah like we could have just hired a trainer to do that. But blah, blah, blah. you're the doctor. We want you offering the top skills. That's why you went to medical school to provide medicine and so I think we get lost in this world of um, like you said um, liability where we're thinking about legal and that's also I would argue just money right from one money to another and then also the influence of uh, pharmacy and and all these things and I and look I'm a doctor I prescribe medicine I think pharmacy has its place Um but not always. And I feel, feel like a lot of times we ignore. Like, I think that my mental health experience on that inpatient psychiatric ward would have been radically, radically different. And my attitude towards the mental health system would have been different if I could have gone for a walk in the woods um, and engaged with the mental health treatment in a different way. And why I bring this up, um, June, is so I couldn't go outside, right? Right. And the unit at the Charlotte Hungerford was not big. This is a small community hospital in rural Connecticut. So what I would do in those stupid little, you know, hospital socks with the grip on the bottom, I would like sometimes run the hallways and I get yelled, you can't do that. So I would just walk back and forth, literally for like pacing all day. And they thought I was like psychotic, which arguably maybe I still was a little bit because I was not the tail end of a manic episode, but like, a lot of it I remember I like was just trying to like clear my mind, in a sense just walk, just exercise, and I was getting more annoyed and irritated because they kept asking me like if I'm okay, and it's like, I'm actually not okay because you don't even let me go exercise and do anything, and this is the next best thing. And it was extremely frustrating and it was actually a big reason of why I even got in this business in the first place of going to medical school, because I want to be in a position of influence and power and be like, yeah, no, that, that experience, although it saved my life, it could be improved greatly. And Why can't we talk about using resistance training when a patient is highly agitated and irritable? Like you brought up a patient that you said, yeah, but like what if there's a patient who's not behaving well, who is is maybe doesn't warrant going on that walk with a physician? And what I would counter, it's like, yeah, but maybe they would be better behaved if they could go exercise for thirty minutes. And, like, get out some of that energy. It's like, I get there's risk. And, like, so I've, I have seen some units that have some outdoor spaces with, like, basketball courts. But, like, how come that isn't measured to the same capacity as, oh, did they take their medicine last night? Did they take a shower? Are they doing their normal activities of daily living? Like, why aren't we measuring exercise? And why aren't we really trying to prescribe exercise the same way that we prescribe our SSRIs, our mood stabilizers, or antipsychotics?
1: Well, Logan, I don't think that's a, you know, that's an that's a issue that's up to the physician per se. Um, and the reason is because, I mean, in many facilities that we work at, whether we can um, safely let a patient go outdoors is more due to the the policy of the hospital and the system that we're working mm-hmm. in at the time. Um, because, and I just want to preface what I'm about to say with uh, with the fact that, you um, You know, when I say that I wouldn't feel comfortable letting a patient go outside, that's only under the circumstance that there's no uh, safe way that's provided within the structure of the hospital for me to do that. Um, Because there are many places, um, and and we've both worked at, like, you know, for example, like a state psychiatric hospital where patients are there for multiple months, sometimes maybe even a year or two at a time. Um, Those places, they have structure in place where, um, where patients can get outside, take a walk, maybe even go for a run in a safe and structured manner. Um, there's supervision, uh, there's gated fences. I mean, it almost sounds like a prison. Uh, right. it, in a way, it, it kind of is, and it kind of does look like one. Um, we can do an episode on state prison, uh, state hospitals um, <laughs> at another time. 40 right. slipped there. Right. Um, yeah, but Logan, I'm, I'm wondering, like, why? what exactly does exercise do for your mental health?
0: Wonderful. What a segue. It's like you could read my computer from that side of this room, June. So, you know, in doing research for this episode, like if you search like how exercise influences, um, mental health, you will just get inundated with studies and there are just have been like I was looking at studies where there's um, these meta analysis with, with over 128,000 participants. Um, there's other meta-analysis that was like over 200,000 participants. And quite frankly, I don't even really think it is of true benefit to necessarily get into the nitty gritty because there's all this argument, well, what exercise is necessarily best for the brain? And what is all of this? And what I kind of realized in, in doing this research is something is better than nothing. Really doing anything and just kind of getting your body moving and getting in this regular routine is actually more important than necessarily arguing, well, what's the intensity? Are they hitting X number of minutes per week? It's like, okay, fine. But because like, well, what if you're depressed, but you're already exercising 100 minutes per week? You know, like, does it need to then be 200? What if you never exercise is doing 30 minutes a week adequate? Like, I think it's very relative to the person. But kind of answering your question, one thing that I thought was most interesting, let's at least um, try to keep this specifically for depression. I think that when I talk about this, we'll kind of go into other areas of mental health. But, you know, do these same things always necessarily apply to That patient who lives with pure schizophrenia and it's a a thought disorder, it's a little different. So let's just kind of stay a little bit easier today. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode on exercise for psychotic features. I think that'd be very interesting. Today I was focusing a little bit more on exercise for depression. Okay, so this one paper that I was reading, do you have a question, I'm sorry?
1: Nope, go ahead, I'm
0: listening. This one paper that I was reading has really five mechanisms, uh, for exercise that they think is impacting depression. And I think there was a few things I'd be curious to think that are missing here that I want to get your perspective. Um, the first theory is thermogenic hypothesis, a raise in core body temperature reduces symptoms of depression, specific brain regions, like your brain 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 stem, leads to feelings of relaxation and reduction in muscle tension when they're warmed up a little bit. Our understanding is actually really limited with this theory, and it's actually more understood and proven that this thermogenic hypothesis theory is helping with anxiety versus depression. But, you know, I would say, like, I don't think that anxiety and depression are by any means mutually exclusive, right? I think, like, so many people deal with both anxiety and depression, and a lot of times we're using the same medication, whether it's SSRI, SNRI, to treat both of these things. What do you think about this hypothesis?
1: I am surprised and not surprised at the same time that there's, uh, these hypotheses for explanations as to why exercise helps us feel better when we're depressed or anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, because for me, I I don't know. I never even asked that question because for me, it just seemed like, of course it helps. Mm -hmm. I don't need an explanation. Like I know it works. I've done it myself and it just seems intuitive. Um, but that's a very interesting theory and it sounds like it would be extremely hard to scientifically prove
0: Right. Um, and that's actually what they're talking about a lot in these hypotheses, because they'll be studying like mice. But it's like, is it ethical to ever try to do this on someone's brain? Like, I mean, I guess you there's ways to study what exact temperature of the brainstem it is, but it's expensive. Right, right.
1: That's I mean, very interesting.
0: This next hypothesis is is kind of interesting and I feel like a little more well accepted by culture. But then there's actually a lot of medical controversy around this. The endorphin hypothesis, okay? So endorphins are connected to like positive mood and well-being. I remember learning about this in medical school, but a lot of times when we're measuring endorphins in the body, we measure what's called peripheral endorphins, okay? And and how we measure those is we, you know, get blood draw from somebody, from like somebody's arm, right? Versus like can all of those endorphins necessarily pass through the blood-brain barrier? And if you don't really have an understanding of what that is, it's the blood-brain barrier only allows molecules of certain size to necessarily pass through that interface between what the blood and then the brain, um, CSF and other fluid is up there, uh, cranial spinal fluid, okay? Um So are central acting endorphins the same as peripheral endorphins? Are these all the same that are released when we exercise? And I thought there was one very interesting point. like endorphins, um, like an opiate, an endogenous opiate, which means like something that your body, your body actually does produce some like things that hit on an opiate receptor. So, if you give someone a naloxone injection, okay, which hits on that opioid receptor like we know about, and we can get into the pharmacology, but the runner's high is not blocked by that naloxone injection, which hits on a mu opioid receptor... Okay, which is what we think, or I guess what we know, of course, what the like an opioid like morphine or heroin or fentanyl kind of hits upon. It helps with like opioid cravings, um, kind of can take out some of that reward feeling because they think it, it works and hitting that with alcohol use disorder and also binge eating disorder, trichotillomania, people pulling out their hair, picking out their skin, even. We do use naloxone in these encounters and it has limited evidence. But in this, the runner's high is not blocked by not blocked by an naloxone injection.
1: I'm not going to lie, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. Kind of weird. Because in medical school, that's like the one thing that we learn, right? Um, Like when you're, the runner's high, when you're running a marathon, you get these endorphins. That's how you're able to overcome pain of running such long distances. And that's how you're able to sustain that positive emotion. Um, And we're kind of taught it. I mean, I thought it was presented as like the core, hard, you know, like solid truth. Um, But I guess it just goes to show that um, these theories that we kind of take for granted as the absolute truth, our our scientific understanding is changing all the time and everything is up for discussion and debate. So in this case, I mean, if naltrexone doesn't take away the runner's high, I'm kind of inclined to say that Maybe it's not, right? It it can't be opioids. Who knows?
0: I mean, um, the next hypothesis is a monoamine hypothesis, and that's very familiar to us. You know, monoamine is, uh, the. there's more than just this, but the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine. This is mostly understood, but even this has controversy, that it's diminished in people who are depressed. That is controversy. That's for another episode. But um, so these neurotransmitters increase in the plasma and in the urine following exercise. But kind of the same argument is said before. Is it the exact same impact in the brain? And they've actually measured this in mice. Um, However, they haven't, of course, measured it in humans because I don't think anyone's going to sign up to get their, you know, skull cracked open after they exercise to just get a serotonin level. Um, But what this one uh, paper was arguing is hopefully in the future with less invasive neuroimaging techniques, hopefully future researchers can examine whether exercise leads to neurochemical changes in the brain produced after these um, exercise endeavors. Okay, so I think that one's the most like relevant, of course, to our world and mental health. Um, So the last two are actually really not um physiologic in nature but rather psychological in nature and these are actually my favorite maybe i should have been a therapist
1: (laughs) all right psychological that's my alleyway too i'm excited
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i guess we will offer therapy but that seems to be actually more in the later half of our residency experience it seems like right now we're really in the thick of like inpatient uh pharmacology. pharmacology um okay the distraction hypothesis physical activity serves as a distraction from worries and depressing thoughts. Use of distraction means, uh, the use of distraction can be like a coping mechanism when you're dealing with depression. And for me, I think this is the one that I was like, Oh yeah, that one makes at least total sense to me. Cause it's very easy to understand for me. Like, like I was talking about when I was out there surfing, you know, what am I thinking about when I'm surfing? What am I thinking about when I'm on that mile four of that run with my dogs Nothing. It's a beautiful experience for me. In many ways, it's like a meditative experience. What are your thoughts on, on this?
1: I, I can speak from personal experience. Um, so when I was in college, I, there, was, there was a girl that kind of broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, like uh, I was pretty bummed out for a long time. Um, to be blunt about it. Yeah. I was pretty, pretty depressed about it. And um, I mean, we play basketball together, right? Right. So that's like the one thing that I, you know, always done my whole life. And I remember during that time in my life when everything was just so gloomy and I couldn't shake this uh, feeling, like no matter where I went, playing basketball was the one thing that let me forget about everything. And it was the one moment where my mind wasn't so fixated on what had happened. It wasn't, Thinking about what, you know, other people who knew what happened would think about me. Mm -hmm. So it was just serenity and peace. And of course I wished, um, you know, I could play basketball 24 hours, uh, but those were my main coping mechanisms actually. I would either play basketball or the only other way that I can kind of turn my brain off from all these negative emotions was to take a lot of naps and i know that's <laughs> not the healthiest behavior um, i thought
0: you were gonna say video games but <laughs> no no i was
1: sleeping a lot man i was just like yeah just very it sounds depressed like actually just wanted to turn my a brain symptom off of depression not exactly a coping mechanism I right right
0: yeah so we'll get into that off the air <laughs> But all right, Um, the last one is another psychological um, kind of hypothesis in this paper, and I think there's a lot of other ones too, Um, but it's called the self-efficacy hypothesis. Um, And here's one quote, one possesses the necessary skills to complete a task. And what it was talking about is how depressed people often feel that they're ineffective and enable to produce any positive outcome. This leads to negative self-evaluation, negative rumination, faulty styles of thinking. So the theory is here, if they're able to accomplish a goal, I'm going to walk for 15 minutes today. That can lead to leading to, okay, I actually was able to accomplish a goal. I was able to do a task, and they can build on that and hopefully get out of their state of depression.
1: That would make sense to me. Um, I mean, just intuitively, right? It's getting that small victory in the morning. Like when we tell patients, oh, if you can't clean your room, hey, just make your bed, right? We start small so that we can have some positive momentum. We can start to get some positive feedback and continue to build on that to hopefully get our habits to the point where we are able to break out of that depression. Um, So, yeah, this just seems like it's echoing that kind of sentiment.
0: Was there any theories here? that um or excuse me missing theories that you were like i'm surprised that wasn't included in this paper because this one paper i mean there's many theories on why it impacts mental health but what are there any theories that are missing in your mind that i haven't discussed
1: okay is there like an obvious one that i'm not thinking of because i'm about to say no
0: oh okay yeah i just wanted to kind of get your thoughts i mean because i there was a few things with me i had this one um Um, professor in college that, uh, he was awesome. Dr. Lyons, he was a biochemistry teacher and he went on this talk actually about, um, mental health and exercise. And what I was found really funny, what he talked about was what's called an endocannabinoid receptor. Okay. Okay. Endo, remember uh, for the listeners. So there's exogenous and endogenous things. Think of endogenous as something in the body. Exogenous is something from the outside world, X, that you're putting into the body. So, exogenous cannabis is consumption of the normal freaking marijuana, right? And the, your body does have endogenous cannabinoid receptors and can produce these things to hit on the receptor. And so, he went into this whole talk, and maybe I can do a, a talk on this in the future, about how... What his theory was, and a lot of his research was how potentially maybe an endocannabinoid receptor is getting hit when you exercise, and that actually is the runner's high. Maybe it's a similar mechanism to um, the exogenous feeling that you get when cannabis is consumed. Maybe it's not endorphins, but really actually an endocannabinoid experience. Hmm, that's that's interesting. I've right. never thought about it that way. Right. Hmm, and
1: you know, maybe when we're thinking about the different ways that exercise could potentially be contributing to increasing, um, you know, feelings of improved mood, essentially, mm-hmm. um, maybe one of the biggest things, and, and perhaps this is, uh, like very obvious and plainly staring us in the face is the effect of exercise on our sleep regulation. Um, because right. sleep is such a key factor to our well-being, whether we're depressed or not depressed. If you start to mess up your sleep cycle, if you're sleep deprived consistently, um, it can have a lot of a lot of, uh, impacts on your mood, but also your overall health, which of course, creates the cyclical cycle where is, um, your physical decline of your physical health contributes to the decline of your mental state. And because you're declining in mental state, you're less likely to exercise and it kind of furthers that cycle. Um, so maybe like consistent exercise also helps you regulate and, you know, gives a regulate your sleep cycle, but also provides a, a routine point, a, a little anchor in your life where you can start to build a routine and some consistency in your day-to-day life. Because we also know that routine and consistency in whatever task it may be is so so very important and i think you know especially like we've seen patients that lose a job right and because they don't have a reason to get up in the morning that throws everything off right. um yeah they don't get up at the same make that time argument anymore
0: about retired people even exactly
1: too. yeah we see examples of it everywhere so perhaps that's one of the ways that um uh, sleep exercise and routine is all tied in together to help us feel better
0: there was one last thing of this paper that i i really want to share that i thought was really cool i tried to touch on it earlier but i think it said better here Positive mood effects of exercise involvement, independent of fitness gains, suggests that the focus should be on frequency of exercise rather than establishing duration or intensity until a behavior of regular exercise is well established. You know, I think that's the most important thing that we can do to help our patients. I, you know, because I was trying to find some studies and figure out, well, I need to prescribe 150 minutes of exercise to my patients, blah, 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 blah. And why I don't think that's important is there's so many different studies looking at this, and that's why I think it's so important to look at meta-analysis, because what I talked about a lot in these mental analysis papers dealing with um, exercise and mental health, in each single one of these um, interventions, each one of these studies, there was different amounts of exercise, different amounts of intensities to each one of these interventions. Okay. Um, So lastly, what I want to kind of touch on is, you know, let's at least get in a little bit of the nitty gritty of exercise versus antidepressant treatment, because we've been talking a lot about depression. Um, So there was a meta-analysis that I was looking at. I can provide the link if you guys want to use it on your own. Um, And it was looking at exercise versus SSRI. Um, So this was... um, Mostly the most all of them making generalizations were roughly these people exercising three times a week, walking or jogging, Um, and these were group exercise classes. And I think that's important. Um, And what it was showing is, is in a sense that all of these studies showed that exercise was equally as efficacious as an SSRI after four months. I am not going to comment necessarily on better or worse, but equally efficacious. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's profound. Um, I think, you know, I think as psychiatrists, right, when a patient comes to us with depression, we inherently have an uh, incentive. To prescribe an SSRI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you go to the surgeon; he's gonna, you know, he's gonna want to cut on you. You go to the orthopedist; he's gonna say you have a broken bone, right? This is the the, the lens that we uh, see the world through. This is what we do on a day to day basis. So I think you know, there's many times where our first, um, you know, thought process is this person needs to be on an SSRI, and that's our um, inherent financial incentive as well. Um, but at the same time, like exercise is just as good as. Um, An SSRI, right? So in that sense, like, I wish if if I could control things in the world, which I obviously can't, um, I would have I would prefer all my patients to just exercise because exercise is so much more than just. um just a relief from your anxiety or depression um so for example like when you're exercising every day that's also a mental workout that you're doing you're getting up every single t- a day um at the same time you're making that commitment and getting to the gym or doing something it doesn't even have to be due to the gym like dr noon talked about it can, you can just go on a walk for five minutes every day but when you have that sense of accomplishment every day when you're when you have when you know that you can fight through that voice in your head that says no um we're not going to exercise today it's too cold outside you're too mm. tired but when we have the benefit, when we have the training of being able to tell that voice, no, I'm going to do it anyway, that carries over to other aspects of your life. And you can carry that over to your career, To learning a new language developing a new skill whatever it is but it translates to so many other aspects of your life um, that can lead to more positivity so if i can control things in a perfect utopian world i would prefer all my patients just have this um have this habit of exercising every day but at the same time we have to recognize that you know in reality this is the same conversation that internists have with their patients about diabetes right Mm -hmm. lifestyle modifications go exercise more change your diet but for many people it's an almost impossible task it seems like and i think to a certain degree there's people that you know that come see you and they are looking for an ssri they don't want to they don't want to hear you say like hey you need to just go exercise every day Um, because one is significantly harder than just popping a pill in the morning Um, so i think there's that element that we have to consider as well
0: right right so a couple last things i want to share before we uh, conclude this episode so they also there was um another meta-analysis looking at exercise combined with antidepressants versus antipressants alone. And I thought what was very interesting is there was a third arm of the study that compared it against placebo alone too. Because remember, placebo, people actually do feel like they get better taking a placebo for depression, which I always think is hysterical. And it's like unethical for us, or supposedly unethical for us to prespr- prescribe a placebo. I would argue it's not and I actually do want to prescribe placebo one day and see if a patient gets better, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like sometimes people are so fixated on medicine. It's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you uh, this um, sugar ZAC. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sugar pill that's Prozac. Maybe they get better, and then they wouldn't have to deal with any of the side effects associated with Prozac. But. Um, So, it looked at this study for depression, comparing exercise combined with antidepressants. Um, It actually, funny enough, didn't compare exercise with placebo. And actually, I misspoke. It did. It did. Um, So, it was exercise with antidepressants, exercise. No, it didn't. It didn't. Exercise with antidepressants versus antidepressants versus placebo. Okay. Okay and it was this meta-analysis across 11 randomized controlled trials. And I feel like I always throw out this meta-analysis term, but in my opinion, this is really the gold standard of medical research because it removes a lot of the bias. With one small study, you can certainly try to influence to get an outcome you want versus meta-analysis is collecting data from a bunch of different studies and trying to get a real conclusion across a big sample size. This was 11 11, uh, studies, and all the studies. But one, so 10 of the 11 studies showed that patients who used exercise as an adjunctive treatment for depression showed a significant improvement in depression improvement after the exercise period or that of the proportion of a clinical response larger than the exercise group or the control, which I feel like is kind of, I think, where we should advocate the most. Like, it seems like the best treatment especially for really profound depression is a combination of both like SSRI or maybe other acceptable antidepressant treatment with exercise
1: right so you know in essence I guess the takeaway is whether you're on an SSRI um, or you're not on any kind of medication for depression exercise it's going to help you it'll make you feel better
0: Certainly. Last thoughts is, um, you know, part of this study was actually looking at following these patients for quite some time. And it set people up in between, um, this was, uh, they had to do three to five sessions a week and report moderate intensity cardiovascular workout for four to 16 weeks during this time period. And it was looking at um, group exercise with supervision versus individual exercise habits. What do you think I'm about to say here?
1: I have no idea. Go for it, Logan.
0: Well, I think I wasn't surprised at all that people who do group exercise programs are actually more adherent to doing those treatments or exercise sessions, Mm -hmm. you know, and and maybe they start to develop friends at that group class. Maybe like us, we play basketball on a regular occasion, you know, like I think it makes total sense. Like I exercise alone, but I do get more enjoyment when there's someone else there. You know, there are times where I actually prefer to be alone, but I actually wonder, you know, if part of our outpatient treatment, when that patient leaves the hospital, yeah, we set them up with um, an outpatient psychiatrist, an outpatient therapist, but what if we actually had to set them up with some kind of outpatient group exercise program and they could pick? Hey, you're leaving the hospital. I know you've been through some shit this last five to 10 days that you've been here. Well, you get two months for free at this yoga studio, you get two months for free at this gym, but I want you to go to group classes, whether it's, you know, a Zumba class or a whatever, you know, like I think trying to build these communities around exercise in my eyes is the most effective mean to actually accomplish this goal.
1: I wonder how many patients would actually follow through with that do you think I'm just pessimistic
0: I'm pessimistic too I mean how many of the medicine do we prescribe that our patients never take when they walk out the door right 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 but I would wonder maybe we should do this study if we could ever get that thing would people be more engaged to go to a Zumba class than to take my antipsychotic every night
1: that would be a that would be an interesting study to look at right. but you know the group the group uh, exercise totally makes sense because one you have an accountability buddy essentially mm-hmm. right and also i think uh, a factor that can't be understated is the fact that when you're participating in group exercise you're also getting human interaction right. i think one of the biggest issues with depression is that it leaves you prone to self isolation right. and we know uh, we it's pretty well documented that even small um Pretty superficial uh, human interactions, such as going to the grocery store and just saying hello or asking somebody like "How much is this?" Even even an interaction such as that can help you feel better. So it doesn't come as a surprise to me, Logan.
0: Well, if you have listened to thirty-eight minutes of us babbling, just get some exercise. It's good <laughs> Hopefully, for we for you, and we're not even talking. Well, I don't even want to get into intensity, duration. I want to focus on frequency try to get in the habit of doing something most days of the week
1: right and it does like like you said logan it doesn't have to be anything intense even a couple of minutes if um you're somebody that's not used to exercising hey start off with a minute a day that's okay you want to start building that positive momentum and you want to get that exactly that sense of accomplishment every single day and all we can do is start where we are and continue to build better
0: towards a brighter future cheers let's end it there